Praise God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says, Now the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For faithful is he that calls you, who also will do it. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you've preserved it, Lord, for such a time as this. We thank you, Lord, that in these days, God, that when we need your word more than anything, God, that you are faithful, Lord, to perform the things that you've said in your word over our lives and, Lord, over prophecy, Lord, that has been spoken of in Scripture. And, Lord, as the time is growing closer to your appearing, God, Lord, I pray every heart in here, God, would be set aflame, Lord, for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, Lord, that it would purify our hearts, Lord. And, Lord, that we would have our lamps ready in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, we finished up with the first book of Thessalonians last week. Before we moved on to the second letter that Paul preached or wrote, I just wanted to spend a few minutes on this scripture where it says body, soul, and spirit. All right? Because in this letter here, this is probably one of the best places that you can see the makeup of who we are as a person. All right? So you notice there that it says that the very God of peace would sanctify you holy. Now, who does the sanctification there? God does the sanctification, all right? By the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And I pray, God, that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. Now, the Lord is, he is concerned about the spirit, soul, and body. All right? Notice he says, all three of those be preserved blameless. You know, some religions think that God is just concerned about their soul. God is concerned about your spirit, soul, and body. Amen? He's concerned about the whole makeup of the human being, of how you were created. So let's talk about these three uh, parts of the body real fast, all right? Um, Another place we can go to that really speaks of body, soul, and spirit is a well-known verse in Hebrews chapter 4. So go over there real quick. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Real famous passage here that talks about um, the Word of God. And it reads like this, For the Word of God is living and powerful, And it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Right? There's those two divisions. And the joints and the marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So he particularly talks about the word of God will cut between the soul and the spirit. And why is that? Because the soul and spirit are very closely linked. I heard one author was writing that the soul consists of the passions 
and the emotions of the human being where the spirit would consist of the intellect and the will. Or I've heard others say the soul is the mind, will and emotions. How many have heard of that before? The mind, will and emotions. Okay. And the spirit. So if we start off with the spirit as the core, the word spirit there is the word pneuma. All right. That's the word pneuma. And that is not a breath, but a wind. A moving force is what pneuma means, all right? Let's go over again. I hope you're ready to flip around to your, in your Bible tonight. Real quick, look at Genesis. Look at Genesis. Uh, I had it here. Hold on, bear with me one second. Go to Genesis chapter 1. All right, everybody there. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 26. Yep, another well-familiar passage. Most, most people know this. It says, Now God said, Let us make man in our image, according to whose likeness? Our likeness. Okay? Plural there is our. God is a trinity. Now, I would like to re- retract the statement that I said last week when I was listening to the tape. I said last week that God is a trinity, and we're a trinity. Now, I want to refrain from saying that or take my words back if I can, because God, the trinity, actually means three persons in one. That is the trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three separate persons in one. We're not three persons. We're one person with three parts. So we're not Trinity. God is Trinity because he's three persons in one. We're one person that has three parts created in his image. Amen. Does does that make more sense? All right. So when it says that God is three, he is three persons, you know, the father feels, Jesus feels, the Holy Spirit feels, feels or is grieved. Amen. You know, each one of the persons of the Godhead has personality traits, although they are God as deity, they are one. But when he says, let us make man in our image, what does John chapter four say? It says, God is spirit and we must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. So if God is spirit and we are made in the image of God, then we are spirit. So the first part of our being is spirit. Now, the spirit of a man in John's gospel, it says, now Jesus was the light and the light was the life of man. It is that living force that's with inside our being. Now, we know that when Adam died, that force, it died. 
The life of God died in Adam as he disobeyed God. Did that force disappear? No, it didn't disappear. It's kind of like, you know, if your car battery goes cold in the winter, the battery is dead, but the battery's still there. And what did it need? It needed a jump start. Amen. It charged that battery up and then that battery was brought to life again. That's what happened to us when we were born again. The spirit was still there, but it was dead like a car battery. And when we believe the gospel for forgiveness of sin and we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, boom, we were charged. Our spirit man came alive, right? And we were connected back to God, and that's what's called being born again. And that's why John, in his gospel, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he used the analogy of the wind. You remember? He said, well, can a man be born again and enter into his mother's womb? He said, no, being born again of the Spirit. He said, you see the effects of the wind, but you don't know where the wind goes. It's a moving, living force. And when we are connected to God in the spirit, it is a moving, living force, amen, that is within us. It's the spirit man that gets its divine instruction on how to live and how to move and have your being in the Lord, amen. That comes from the spirit. That is the pneuma. It is the wind of God. Now, there's another part of the human makeup which is called the soul. And that is from the Greek word suke or psyche. All right, that's where we get our word psychology. All right, dealing in mental health and the studies of human reasoning and personality and behavior traits comes from the soul. Now, the word soul there means breath. All right. Now, look over at Genesis chapter 2 since you're there in Genesis already, verse 26. Uh, sorry, I'm going to go to Genesis 2, verse 7. You're right. I just saw that. Praise the Lord. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Now the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. All right. Some translations might say being. The word there is soul. Um, and the soul is the breath. Now, if you think about it, Adam, he breathed life into Adam. Adam became a living soul. Adam began to breathe, didn't he? And the breath from Adam has been passed on, breath has been passed on to every single person that has been born from that time forward, if you think about it. The breath is what keeps the body alive, isn't it? You know, when a person stops breathing, aren't, they're, they're gone, aren't they? You know, the breath is the soul. Now, animals have a soul, but animals do not have a spirit, Animals have a soul, they have instinct, they have will, they have desire, but they do not have the eternal equation that God has put in each and every one of us. 
You see, that's why hell is so important to stay away from. Because a lot of people believe in what is called uh, destructionism, where once you die, you are wiped away and you're done living. That's false because inside the human being is the spiritual part of God that is eternal. Man, whether he follows Jesus or not, he is an eternal spirit and he's going to abide eternally somewhere forever, whether it be in the presence of God or whether it be away from the presence of God. Amen. And this is why the gospel is so important, why we have to have an urgency as a church to talk about what people are made of. Because a lot of people think, well, you know, if I don't live for God when I die, it's all over. Well, it's not all over. Amen. It's not all over. So the soul has to do with our mind, will, and emotions. That is where, that is where the sanctification takes place. Now, this, this is a debatable topic. But what I believe personally, I believe when you are born again and your spirit is made alive through the gospel by faith, that spirit man is alive. And that is where the righteousness of God dwells. Amen. Now, it is up to us through the Holy Spirit. The Bible says to renew our what? Our mind. Right. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That comes by training or conditioning our soul into believing who we really are in the spirit man. Amen. Now, we also have another part of the body called the soma. S-O-M-A. Soma is the Greek word for body. Now, that word body there, if you go to Corinthians chapter 15 real fast, 1 Corinthians 15, and the interesting thing about the Bible is, is that it, sometimes when it talks about your heart, where it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, or from the heart proceeds the issues of life. Sometimes it'll talk about your heart. Sometimes it will say your soul. Sometimes it will say your spirit, um, inner man. Sometimes in Scripture, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, will be overlapping soul and spirit all as one unit when He's speaking. Because there's no division between the soul and spirit as far as like one's not going to go here and one's going to go over here. They're a compact unit, all right? I like to say it this way. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the word suitcase, all right? Now, you think about the word suitcase. What's a suitcase? The suit is in the case... And the thread is in the suit. Amen. So the spirit is the thread that gives the suit life. And the suit is carried around in the case. Your soma or your body right now is just an earth suit to carry your soul and spirit around. 
That's all it is. It is fashioned for this earth. But it cannot handle heaven. Your, your, your suit is not equipped for that altitude. Amen. I mean, even if you put on a NASA suit, you still would not be fit for heaven. But Jesus, resurrected body, was the proper suit that could dwell in heaven and on earth. Amen. And that's the soma that you'll get one day. Now, in verse 15, verse 45 of chapter uh, of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, 45 says this. Uh, let's see, where do I want to start at here? Let's start at... Um, let's go to... Uh, That's not where I want to be. It's Corinthians 6 is where I want to be. Sorry about that. Corinthians 6, verse... Um, verse 6. Chapter 6. Chapter 6. Looking for, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? That's just... Word I'm looking for. 19, 12. Huh? 19. 19. Thank you. All right, let's go to uh, verse 18 first. The Bible says to flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. Now, that's a powerful word there because, and that's exactly why the disciples warned the early Christians to a, that they wrote a, they didn't wrote a, a, write a big list of do's and don'ts, but they did say abstain from fornication. They did, Paul did tell the Thessalonians, didn't he? He said, this is the will of God that you flee fornication, that you commit not fornication. All right. And why is that important? Because every other sin that a person does is outside the body. If you lie, if you cheat, you steal, if you murder, if you, um, if you dishonor your parents, all of the Ten Commandments, all of those are outside the body except for fornication. Fornication is the only sin that a human being can do unto himself, the Bible says. It says we do it unto our body. And, and you actually sin against yourself. And that's why the Lord takes this very seriously. And I got to be honest with you, we talked about this in depth uh, a few weeks back, so I won't go into it heavily. But that's why there's a lot of messed up people in the world. Multiple partners mess people up emotionally. It messes them up. And you can track down a lot of people's emotional instability to the fact that they have had multiple partners and there's been fornication in their life because they sin against themselves. So, and that's why the Lord takes it seriously. And he also says in verse 9 now, he says, Now don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that your soma is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 
whom you have from God, and what? You are not your own. You are not your own, the Bible says. This body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The word temple there is the word naos. It is translated the holy of holies in the Bible. God is saying here that the soma of uh, our body is the holy of holies, where the Holy Spirit dwells. The, the Holy Spirit, this body itself, the soma, is the temple of God. Same word was used when Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. Destroy this naos. They thought he was talking about the temple, the holy of holies. But it says that he was speaking of his body. Jesus said his body, your body, is the holy of holies or the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. Now, that brings up a lot of controversial issues. Can a Christian have a demon? You know, what do, how, do you, how do you get possession? You know, all that kind of stuff. I personally believe if you are born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says the Holy of Holies. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, when Eli's sons came in with just the wrong incense sticks into the Holy of Holies, boom, they were dead. And that was just a stick of incense. If a priest came through the Holy of Holies without being cleansed at the altar, he would, they would strike, the presence of God would strike him down before the ark. They'd have to, they wore a rope with bells. When the bells stopped ringing, they thought, that's a dead priest in there and they got to pull him out. Pull him out. So don't tell me that if these kind of things happened to people that walked into the Holy of Holies... That some filthy evil spirit or some demon is going to have power to enter the body of a born again believer full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Now, that's a controversial topic. And but I'm just putting it out there on how I feel. I think the Holy Spirit's greater than any demon out there. Now, that is the Soma. That is the body of the believer. We have a body. It is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, there's one more word that the, body, that the Bible talks about with, with regards to us, and it's called the flesh. How many have heard of that? And that's the word sarxi. Okay? Sarxi is totally different than soma. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. How do you spell that? Sarxi. S A R. X, Y. I believe that's it. Sarxy. 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 Flesh. Now the flesh, the flesh is also in our Bible translated, sometimes you might see it as sinful nature or old man. It is the habits or the, or the passions of the fallen nature of man. You see, when Adam died, when his spirit became disconnected from God, the thing that drove him and moved him was the appetites of his body in relation to the earth. His appetites were no longer 
for the things of God, but for the things that were earthy or carnal, the Bible says. So those habits that we grow up with, those desires for things that are not of God, come from the old nature. Now, how many people have ever experienced these things once you became born again? I have. Just because you're born again doesn't mean that you don't have to deal with the flesh. If that was the case, Paul wouldn't have spent the whole chapter in Galatians talking about the works of the flesh are these. And he listed all of these. And he said, you know, all the different things that that we see as, as wrong were works of the flesh. Let's go there real quick. I'll just Galatians chapter uh, 5. Real fast. Galatians chapter 5. And it says verse 19. Galatians 5.19. So now the works of the flesh or the sarxi are evident, which are, and he lists a bunch of them. And he kind of categorizes them too. Um, You've got sexual uh, works of the flesh. You've got things that have to do with witchcraft and sorcery idolatry, worship of other gods, worship of yourselves. Then you've got envy and murder and drunkenness, revelry, revel, revelries and the like, all right? Which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All right. If we live in the spirit and we walk in the spirit, it says if we walk in the spirit, we shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Amen. If you walk in the spirit, you won't do these things. But if you're not in the spirit, if you're not letting that, that spiritual connection to heaven rule your your being, you're going to slip back into the mode of the works of the flesh. The spirit man can overcome the works of the flesh if, we're, if that force from heaven is flowing through us. Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow living waters. Amen. But when will the flesh go away? The flesh will go away and cease to exist at your resurrection. Because at your resurrection in the new body, you will no longer have to deal with the works of the flesh. But that's why Paul said we need to live as if we were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? Galatians 2.20. So we have to live by faith. We're crucified. We have to live as though we are 
resurrected. We're putting our faith in a future tense when this body will be made new. Amen. Amen. And when we live by faith like that, that same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the Bible says, will empower your mortal body is what it says. Remember that song we sing? The same that rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that commands the dead to raise lives in us, lives in us. And you know something? It does live in us. The problem is I don't wake up every morning and acknowledge it probably like I should. Like you, we let the things of the earth knock us down. But I am telling you, man, the resurrection power, it's in you, man. It's in me. And it's there. It is a power that is available to be tapped into. And that's what I was saying last week. I think that's why tongues is such a beautiful gift for the church. I think if you speak in tongues, you'll tap into that power and that resource that's there. It's like a... You know, you go out into the fields of the oil rigs and they've got those bits, don't they? That they get into that earth and they got to get, they got to just, just got to pound that earth a little bit. And before they know it, they hit the oil or they hit the water. And tongues, man, in the spirit is like that drill bit that pounds the earth, the earth, the flesh. The flesh is earthy. That's the word Adam. It means red earth is where his name comes from. It pounds the Holy Spirit's praying in tongues. It pounds the flesh. It breaks through the flesh into the soul and goes down into that deep well, that spirit well. And before you know it, there's a gusher man that comes out. And all of a sudden you're tapped into the forces of heaven. But let me tell you something. I don't wake up every morning like that. Neither do you. But the ability to, to come, to go to another place, it's in you, amen? It's there. Hey, I believe Paul. He put his life on it and so did the disciples. It's there, amen? So even though we carry the flesh around, the old nature, we have the power to overcome the old nature, amen? We have the power to overcome the old nature, now, there's a lot of Christians that believe a lot of the things that were listed here in chapter 5 are from evil spirits. But I'm sorry, I just don't see that presented in the New Testament. I see Paul call the works of the flesh, call these things works of the flesh. That's what I see. I don't see him say, you know, these are from different demonic forces that cause people to be like this. And this is the point. If my habitual addiction to adultery or fornication is a devil's fault, then why is that sin going to be laid to my charge on Judgment Day? Because it wasn't my fault. It was the, it was the devil made me do it syndrome. And this is the problem when we get into this. When we start trying to blame our past, when we start trying to blame how we were brought up, when we start trying to blame devils, when we start trying to blame, you know, all the different things that we went through for the reason why we are the way we are, what do we do? We take away the magic word called repent. 
You know, if you don't, if, if you can't, magic's probably not a good word to use in that statement, but you take away the responsibility of repentance. And if you take away the responsibility from repentance, there is no gospel. Because the Bible says repent and believe the gospel for the forgiveness of your sins. If you take away somebody's responsibility to repent or acknowledge that they are, have sin, then how can they receive forgiveness of sin? Because they don't acknowledge it. And that's what we have today in our society. We have young people, the millennials, are all trying to normalize sin. As I heard an awesome video say the other day, we try to say that my lifestyle is not wrong. It's normal. And, and I like what this one brother said. He said, if you, if you normalize sin or you take away the fact that sin is wrong, then you... Take away the ability to receive mercy. And if you take away the ability to receive mercy, which is forgiveness of sin, you take away the ability to receive grace, which is power to change. So what you end up doing is you leave people right where they are with no ability to change or become a new person. And that's why it's very important that we don't preach doctrines that take away repentance from a brother or sister's life. We can't say I was born this way. We can't say the devil made me do it. We can't say it's my mama's fault. It's my daddy's fault. Hey, the Bible says that Adam through one man came sin into the whole world. I could say it's Adam's fault. We could play it just like him. The wife you gave me, Lord. We could play the blame game. But let me tell you something. It does say that Adam, through Adam's sin, and we were just there. Go over there quick, chapter 15 real fast, because this is a powerful uh, 1 Corinthians. We were just there, 1 Corinthians 15. And that was 45. And it says there, um, and so it is written, verse 45, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, but the last Adam, Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth made of dust, and the second man, the Lord, was made from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also of those who are made of the heavenly. And then it says somewhere else, not in this passage, which I thought, but it says, from Adam, sin entered the world, but from Jesus, righteousness was passed on to all men. So Adam, it had to be, sin had to come from Adam, from one man, therefore, one, if one man can condemn all, one man can justify all, you see. That's why the Bible says that Eve was in Adam. You know, I believe to this day that if Adam would have never ate of the apple, we'd, be in, we'd still be in paradise. 
Eve ate the apple. She said she was deceived, but she gave it to Adam who had the word from God not to eat before Eve was ever created. The word was given to Adam to obey. And he should have said, sorry, hon, we're not supposed to do that. And everything would have been fine. But what did he do? It says she gave to him, he took of it and he ate. And then death came into the world. But what came into the world first? Death? No, sin. Sin came into the world and death was the product or the result of the sin. Amen. Hence, go to Jesus now, who was obedient unto death. He took away sin. And what was the proof that sin is gone? God raised Jesus from the dead. He brought him from the dead. Just like Adam sinned, then came death. Jesus nullified sin, then came the resurrection. Proof that sin was taken away. That's why it's so important for the church to preach the resurrection. To not always just preach, oh, Jesus died on a cross for your sins. Yes, he did do that, but he was raised to life for your justification, the Bible says. Our righteousness is from his resurrection. That's what gives us power to stand and come boldly into the throne of grace, to stand and look God and say, here I am, Lord, not in my righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus. Amen. And that was provided in the, in the resurrection. That's why the resurrection is a powerful message. So if we if back to what I was saying, though, if we go and we take away the word of repentance out of a believer's mouth, if they don't acknowledge that they have sin, then they don't have forgiveness of sin. And if they don't have forgiveness of sin, then they don't have the righteousness that comes from the resurrection. And if they don't have the righteousness from the resurrection, then they don't have the Holy Spirit. And that is the order. That's what Paul said to the disciples. He said, hey, where are you baptized from? He said, oh, we're baptized from John. He said, that's the baptism of John. John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. Have you been baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ? He says, we never even heard of a Lord Jesus Christ. Paul preached Jesus Christ to him, the forgiveness of sin, resurrection, the righteousness from it. They believed on Jesus, it says, and then Paul laid his hands on him and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, you see. And so it's the three part that you guys have heard me preach many times here. And this is why I'm so passionate about this. We got to stop calling works of the flesh demons. We got to stop telling people that their problem is the way they were brought up. We have to start addressing that my problem is that I am a sinner and I acknowledge my sin. I turn to Jesus for forgiveness of my sin. I believe the resurrection for my righteousness and I be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that is the Bible. I don't see a lot of the stuff that I see coming through the framework of the church. Paul's not preaching it, guys. Paul's not preaching it. And what it's doing is it's spending a lot of worthless energy going nowhere and you're not giving people the ability to receive the Holy Spirit and carry on with victory in their own personal lives. You got to keep coming to that person. You got to keep coming to that person. You got to keep coming to that person. What are you doing? You're not pointing them to Christ 
being filled with the Holy Spirit so they can live a victorious life within themselves, reading the Bible, speaking in tongues. You're always leading them to another session. Come to another session. Come to another this. Come to another this. And they're forever looking to man for their deliverance instead of Christ. And that's, the, that's it. That's it in a nutshell. And it's the works of the flesh, man. So that's that. Now, I don't know how I got off on all that, but as you can see, I'm very excited about it. Verse 21. 1521. What's that say? Yep. There you go. That's it right there. Thanks, brother. For since... Everybody there, verse 1521. For since by man came death... By man came, came, by also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And it's very key. You have to be, you have to reconcile yourself in Adam so that you can reconcile yourself in Christ. You see, I like what my uh, dad always said. He said, I'm not from Delbert anymore. I was from Delbert, but now I'm in Christ. I was in Delbert, but now I'm in Christ. I was in Ronnie Moore before I got saved, but now I'm in Christ. I'm not in my parents' DNA anymore. Now, sometimes I've got to battle my flesh and my personalities or whatever, but according to Christ, I am in Christ now. And the Spirit of Christ that raised him from the dead is now in me. I have a new DNA from heaven, not from earth. But we have to reconcile ourselves in Adam so that we can be justified in Christ. Amen. I heard one guy say if it had to be in Adam, Eve had to be in Adam or there would have had to have been another savior. Here's an interesting fact. Angels, angels themselves are each individually created beings. There's no savior for angels. There's no savior for Lucifer. But if there was a savior for Lucifer or a savior, there'd have to be millions of saviors because the savior is qualifies for one being. See, we're all in Adam. From Adam came every one of us. That's why one Christ, one man, the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one man because every one of us came from one man. Therefore, there's one Savior. Amen. And so if we were all individual created beings, there'd have to be multitude saviors for each creation. You understand what I'm saying? So that's very important. And it's also important to to know that because I think sometimes, you know, Eve gets a bad rap. Or sometimes, you know, in, in a lot of false religion like Islam and stuff like that, they really abuse women because of Eve. They think the problem with the society came from the woman. Woman was not the problem. Woman was not the problem. I mean, if you really want to get down to it, the problem was, was the serpent. 
who cast doubt on God's word, which Adam believed. Hath God said, that's what, that's all he said. Hath God said you should die? Little bit of doubt, that's all it was. Like we learned it last week, the same doubt will be released in the earth again when the beast is let out of the pit after the millennial, after the thousand year reign of Christ, and people will doubt Christ again. Amen. And that same rebellion will happen in the earth, praise God. All right. So, so there we go. So that's the body, soul, and spirit. And um, I think I covered... Oh, one more thing. Leviticus 17.11. You can go there if you want. This is pretty powerful. Leviticus 17.11. Look at this. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your what? Souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The blood makes atonement for the soul. The blood does. Now the Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. When Jesus came and he in his resurrection body, he said, handle me. Flesh and bone doesn't have a spirit, is not a, a spirit or a ghost or a phantom, cannot have flesh and bone. See, when Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection, he thought, they thought he was a ghost or that he was some sort of a phantom spirit. But he said, handle me, feel my body, feel my soma. Flesh and bone, he said. He said, a spirit can't have flesh and bone. Indicating that Jesus, the new body, was flesh and bone. But what powers the new body? If blood is the life of the flesh, what is the life of the new body? The spirit is the life of the new body, you see. The spirit is the life of the new body. That's why it says flesh and blood can inherit the kingdom of God. You know, Blood is an atonement for the soul on earth, right? To make us right, to cleanse us, cleanse us of sin, all right? When they took the blood into the, into the Holy of Holies, what did they do? They cleansed the furniture, didn't they? They would, they would sprinkle blood on the furniture to cleanse it, to sanctify it. When Jesus went into the heavenly temple, the Hebrews tells us, he took his blood to the heavenly temple and cleansed heaven. Just like the high priest would go once a year into the Holy of Holies and put the blood there so that the presence of God, so that the people of Israel and the whole community would be cleansed. It says Jesus went into the the, the real temple, that was just a pattern, Hebrews says. He took his blood into heaven and offered the blood to heaven. And that is why, that's why when you are battling with sin consciousness, you're condemning yourself all the time. You need to see Jesus standing before God Almighty, presenting his blood on your behalf. And you need to see yourself as forgiven. You need to see that Jesus said, Jeremy Moore is now forgiven of sin. Here is my blood, Father. Amen. 
We need to have that image. Not the condemning image that says, oh, you're never going to get over this. No, I'm never going to get over it. But Christ in me is going to get over it. Amen. Christ in me is going to get over it. And when this body, the Bible says, when this mortality puts on immortality, we will never have to deal with this stuff again. Amen. We'll never have to deal with it. But we deal with it now because we still have a body filled with blood. But Paul encourages us as Christians that we can live as though we have our resurrected body because the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, it lives in us. Amen. Praise God. I hope you got something out of that tonight.